Welcome to the Asians Redefining Their Success podcast, where Asian professionals share their stories of breaking boundaries and switching into more creative and unconventional careers. I am your host, Yangshi Zhou. Hello, friends. I just had the most amazing afternoon. Guess what I did? <laughs> so I had a stroll and I sat in the sun for about 20 minutes and it was so incredible. I know I mentioned that I'm about to travel in Asia soon and visit all these places, but literally today was one of the best days ever. I was literally walking around my neighborhood that I grew up in, so I've seen it for so many years, was wearing sweats and sat down with dirt, so nothing spectacular or fancy, but it just felt so blissful. And I think this state of appreciation and gratitude is really inspired by this bonus episode with Carolyn Brunson. She has a background in sports management and wellness, and then suddenly one day, she became gravely ill with a rare condition. She went from being fit and healthy to being paralyzed on life support and unable to see or speak. At one point, she even had to be revived after going into respiratory failure. So on this episode, we talk about how Caroline was able to rehab herself with a faith over fear mindset, how to not give up on hope no matter how much life has thrown you off the set path and in your career, and the best practices for anxiety and stress management in daily life and in your job. Hope you will be inspired by this episode as much as I have. Hey, Carolyn, welcome to the Arts Podcast. Hi, I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me today. Yeah, I really enjoyed our chat, a little bit of our chat before this. And so you have a pretty unique experience. And I say this, I know I say this for all the guests that I have, but yours is truly very like non-linear. So why don't you first tell us a little bit about you, what career you are, you were in and what you're up to now? Okay. Well, currently I'm freelancing in corporate events. Um, I actually come from a higher education and health and wellness background. And what about in the past? What career are you transitioning from? Well, I was previously working on a couple of grant projects at uh, Bellingham Technical College, a small school up in the Northwest. And those projects ended because of them being grant funded. And then um, I moved to relocated to Los Angeles and um, I have some background doing events in higher education. And so I thought, you know, this would be really fun to do some freelance work to kind of have the flexibility, do some traveling and just see where it takes me. Yeah. And earlier you mentioned too, that you were actually doing a PhD. Can you talk a little bit more about that, about what happened? Right. So right after I received my master's degree, which is in sports management, I started teaching and uh, teaching health and wellness, sports management, physical education um, at Valparaiso University. And I wanted to delve a little further into education, that educational part. So I, I decided to move to Fort Collins, Colorado, start my PhD at Colorado State University in education and human resource studies. And I completed three years of the program. So I'm technically all but dissertation and preliminary exams. And unfortunately during that journey, my mom uh, got terminal cancer. Mm. And so 
at, at the time, um, it was in my third year of study or second into third year, I was traveling back and forth to help her into another back to Valparaiso, Indiana, where she was working and living. And then um, she, things got worse. And um, so I decided to stop going to school and to return home uh, for her final year of life. Uh, So um, if any of you out there know what it's like, or can even imagine what it's like to be with somebody who is basically dying from cancer and living that journey. And so um, that experience in itself uh, completely derailed me. Um, my mother was by far the most influential and important person in my life. And um, it just, it was so heartbreaking and so exhausting and so complex in a lot of ways too. Um, dying, the process of dying is never easy on either a loved one or the person who's going through it. So. If you can imagine. So after that experience, I was exhausted. Yeah. I was really, really shaken from, and that's putting it mildly, I was devastated from the loss of her in that process. And so it just, it didn't feel right to go back to school. Uh, so I decided to go back to work instead. And PhD work is pretty grueling. It's, it's a process. It's, um, and kind of in my, in my path of learning, I was following, I mentioned this, uh, a linear path, and it it was really, it it felt kind of hard to stop during that path, but I knew in my heart it was the right thing to do. And so that was kind of the first major thing that sort of challenged my linear thinking of you do this and taught that, you know, education is the way and you stay on the path and you you stay with it and you keep going. And, um, but life happens. Mm -hmm. And these are the things that we don't often take into consideration when we're moving through our educational and career journey. Mm, yeah. Thank you for sharing that story and being so open and vulnerable. Yeah. Thank you. I think you illustrate a really great point of the power of following our hearts, right? Whether it's in our education or in our career, because you probably would have regretted it a lot if you just continue your PhD and you weren't there to support your mom during that time. Yes, I um, I definitely don't regret it. As challenging and painful as it was, it was important for me to be there. Yeah, and and then earlier we we're talking about how you after a while you were ready to move to California, and then life just threw another nonlinear obstacle at you. Yes, um, wow, a doozy of a of a nonlinear <laughs> obstacle. <laughs> so I had wrapped up a couple of grant projects moved to Southern California. Um, I'd realized a long time ago, and this is, it's just been one of those things I'd been kind of denying for a long time that, that I, I can manage the cold weather and the rain, but I, I really just, it's just not for me. And, and I'd planned on, you know, I, I need to be in the sunshine. It's who I am, warmer weather. I like to be outdoors. Yeah. I'm also so jealous of you going to Palm Springs after this interview. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. And, and we finally have our warmer, our, our LA winter warmer weather. But so my, at the time I was, my grant projects wrapped up in Washington. I was in a transition and my best friend was in, in Los Angeles. And she said, why don't you just come stay with us for a while and, and just, you know, feel it out, see if it's for you. And I was like, you know, that's great. So I, I packed it all up and drove down to Southern California. And shortly after I moved here, um, and this was in 2017, um, I got guillain syndrome and uh, guillain syndrome is an illness whereby the body's own immune system attacks the peripheral nerves. So within 
uh, three short days, I actually had had another respiratory infection. Um, I was on life support, completely paralyzed, and um, in the ICU. Oh my gosh. And um, with, with Guillain-Barre syndrome, uh, it is, it's a devastating con condition and we don't really know what causes it. And it's, it's a type of situation where everybody's case is different with mine. Um, I was uh, on life support. I actually went into respiratory failure and had to be revived. And then I was placed in a drug induced coma for an extended 10 days, I believe. And then from there, once I came out of the coma, it, it was a long healing process to gain back my ability to walk and my ability to talk and I lost my vision. And, um, and so, so 2018 was a lot of that physical healing um, of just trying to regain all of it and relearn it. And, um, I was thankfully, I'm a very fit and active person and I have a background in personal training. So I was able to rehab myself and um, I'm so thankful that I had the knowledge and strength to do that. Cause it's, it's, it's not easy. It's, it's, it's devastating, mm -hmm. but I, I just faith over fear. I mean, it's just when you got to dig deep, that is, that's what happened. And so that really, again, it just, it shook me to my core and, uh, Mm -hmm. as to why I'm, you know, evaluating a lot of different things and, you know, a lot of things of how it was taught and culturally and yeah. what, and even questioning those things and as to doing, doing something that feels right. That's from the heart versus doing something that your parents tell you to do that they think is right. Um, and it's hard because your parents support you and you love them. But, but at the, at the end of the day, you have to do what's right for you. I'm, I'm on kind of the new path of discovery and learning a lot about challenging my fears and really even things like being really grateful for things that I had never really had even considered, you know, and, and the times when you're stressed out about work or how, you know, you're going to make a living, just sitting in the moment and looking around and thinking, you know, I've got this great apartment. I have a roof over my head. I can see the blue sky. I can, I'm able to drive my car. I'm able to walk mm. to my car, which I was not able to do. I mean, all these little reminders as to, you know, what this experience has taught me. Yeah. Wow. That's really powerful. And there's so much here. So I'm going to ask you a question by question. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So going back to, and then we'll slowly go through it. So going back to the beginning, it just completely came out of nowhere, right? I think the first thought that I would have is kind of, you know, why is this happening to me? And I think for people who have these unforeseen circumstances happen, whether it's illness or passing away of a loved one, it's kind of like, why is this happening to me? And so I'm curious if you had those thoughts and then how are you able to sit with that? Sure. Wow. You know, I'm a firm believer that we all come to this earth with lessons that we need to learn. And we not, we are, might not love these lessons. <laughs> and I think that with these lessons and with this journey, I, as hard as it was, I never really questioned the whys as to what can I learn from this? Mm. And this is clearly my journey and my path. And how can I move through tough situations in a way 
that can teach me to move through life in a way that honors my emotions, that honors healing and learning more, even more about stress management. Mm. When I got Guillaume I felt like I had a lot of complex emotions and stress that I had buried because of a lot of things that had happened before it. So it was kind of a timely, it was timely. I had had, um, you know, my mom had cancer and a really tough breakup. And then you're making all these life transitions. Yeah. And it was my wake up call. I, I think that when things happen that are so pivotal and painful, they're often a wake up call to make you aware of the things that you either are trying to avoid or deny or teaching you to be stronger in times of adversity. Really, really important. In fact, it's interesting. I'm reading this book right now. It's called Transitions, Making Sense of Life's Changes by William Bridges. And um, it's a great little tool for, especially for anyone making a career change or, you know, a breakup of a relationship. And it talks about all of these transitions and how we often cling to endings as being such a horrible, horrible thing or having really struggle with endings, which is normal because something is end, you go through a grieving process, but also with an ending comes a beginning and a new start. And I think oftentimes we forget that, that with endings comes new beginnings. Right. And sometimes you, you have to go, okay, well, that wasn't the path I was meant to go down. Mm. And I'm not sure what the path looks like moving forward, but I'm going to honor that this has happened. I'm going to, yeah, it's okay to be upset about it, but, but also realize that there's something in the universe or whatever that is, that's pushing you in a different direction. Mm. And I think having those thoughts, these more positive thoughts and like placing your trust in the universe, I, I can see how that would have really helped you get through the whole process of it suddenly happening to you. Yeah. And I mean, it was extremely frustrating. And um, I mean, to not be able to lose your ability to hold a pen in your hand, to walk, to see, to it's, it's so frustrating. And yet, you know, you have to go through this painful process. So how then do you, as you move through the pain of it all in a graceful way, I know it sounds kind of strange and, and right. you know, my tools are, you know, fitness and meditation, and of course, a support system of people who can make you laugh and support you and your and, and your milestones and uh, good friends and family. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, these things that we really take for granted. I know you mentioned that in another podcast, you were mentioning that you couldn't walk or like walking felt like you had 100 pound weights on both legs, right? And that you were losing your vision. You couldn't see your eyes were rolling around and then, and then you couldn't breathe. And so all of these how do you view them now? I'm, because I think for people who haven't lost them, it's like, it's kind of hard to appreciate, right? So um, I'm curious what your experience is like and how do you see the world differently now after going through that experience in terms of appreciation and gratitude? And maybe this can be a little bit of wake up call, call for us too, to be more in the present as well. Yeah, I think um, it's really important. And I, I started doing this is when things really stress me out or I'm like, how am I gonna make this? And oh, this person or whatever it is that upsets you. If, and you get to that point where you know your heart rate goes up, you start to get kind of hot, is, is to really take a moment, take some deep breaths and look around at all of the beautiful things that are really are around you. It sounds kind of cheesy, but it is a gift to be able 
to see the green and the trees and the blue in the sky. Mm -hmm. It is a gift to be able to freely move about and not be in pain. It is a gift that, that I have a car that I drive to get places. And it's all of these things that we easily forget. We get trapped in these cycles of stress and anxiety. And of course I, I do it too. I still do it. And I have to go, okay, let's take a step back. Let's, you know, take some time to meditate, calm down and really, really evaluate what's important. Um, at the end of the day, you know, it's, I always thinking, cause I, I did almost lose my life. It's I'm thinking forward one day, what, what's really going to be important? Like mm -hmm. my friends and my family, the pets that I've loved, the relationships I've established, enjoying life for all of the things when we live in the United States, that is a privilege. It's hard to see it when there's so much chaos, things around you, but it, it's, it is a privilege. It's, it's, I don't know what it's like to live in another country, but, um, I know through my mother's experience living in a third world country based upon what she shared with me, it's like a reminder, like, oh, okay. And really, I don't know. I, I guess I move through life with a little, with some, with more faith now, um, that than before, I think overcoming something as as serious and as life altering as Guillain-Barre syndrome, paralysis and losing it all, really. I mean, losing it all to have to work to, to gain it back. Yeah. And you didn't know whether you would be able to gain that, gain it back during that time, right? No, I, well, I'll say this. I, I'm one of these, I'm pretty stubborn. So I was like, I refuse. I was <laughs> like, this is not going to be me, you know, and Doctors can say like, well, we think this is going to happen and, and we we're pretty sure you're, you're going to get your vision back. We're, we're all sure, but, um, you know, and it's interesting because I'd have family like my dad would be like, well, what, I mean, what are you going to do? What, what if you can't see in like seven months? I was like, well, I'm going to take an Uber dad. That's what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. I'm going to take a freaking Uber. <laughs> uh, but anyways, kind of making a little light of it, but I just, I, I had to believe and have that faith. I had to I would do visualizations, meditations, where I'd visualizing, visualize myself in my car driving. I'd visualize being able to see the sky because uh, my vision was so impaired that everything, it was double vision. Everything was blurred out at a distance. And I, I could only see you if you were standing right in front of me. Then you were pretty clear, but anything was, it was just no peripheral vision. I couldn't see the floor. Uh, it was really, really frustrating. And then on top of that, you're seeing double. Mm. So that, you know, it's, it's really, really counting. It throws off your balance. It makes you nauseous right. and, you know, all that stuff. And going back to the coma experience, I know you mentioned that it was 10 days. You know, being in a coma, I feel like that's kind of the, probably one of the closest thing to like death in a sense or having a near death experience. And so how is that like? Because I think it really gives you like a, outer broader perspective of life right especially since you mentioned earlier like oftentimes we're kind of you know best out about work about careers how are we going to make money how are we going to sustain ourselves that we don't really kind of see the bigger picture so being in the coma was was very interesting because uh another podcast that you do know yeah, I wanted to ask you that too. How, how can you know if you can't see? I just, 
knew who was there. It was the weirdest thing. Um, and, and this is where, I mean, I can, I can honestly say like being in the coma, obviously I was out and out, but during that experience, it was like my physical self was having a conversation with my higher self, that soul piece, that whatever that is, that's, that's part of us, you know, we're here as the physical, but we have that soul. Mm -hmm. And, and so I'm a firm believer that yes, my, my like self was communicating with my higher self. So with that being said, it was like, I knew what was going on in a way that I, I knew who was there praying for me. I, I knew like who my visitors were and how I knew this was because later, later on, I, my dad would be like, Oh, so-and-so came by when, and I was like, I, yeah, so-and-so was there and so-and-so was there. And I remember, yeah, he came by too. And they're like, how do you know this? And I was like, I just know mm -hmm. who was there. I don't. Did your higher self tell you or? It, it, it maybe there is, I, I haven't put it all mm. together yet, but maybe there is this part of my higher self that disassociated with my physical self. I, you know, it's, it's a really interesting place to be. I do remember during that time that there was a, it was a strong message being downloaded in me that was like, this is not your time that you still, there's still work to be done here and that you're going to make it through this. That was very strong. It was just strong through the experience, strong in the coma, as bad as things got. Um, it was just a higher knowing and maybe that same higher knowing is that I knew who was in the room and the same higher knowing of that. It just felt like things were going to be okay. Yeah. And side note, this is really interesting and maybe you'll get goosebumps or the listeners will get goosebumps is that, you know, we actually scheduled this podcast interview earlier of last year in December, and then we pushed it back. Right. And during that process, I've actually been reading and learning a lot about spirituality and how, um, going back earlier to, you know, stress and how like negative emotions and resistance often shows up as like illnesses and diseases in our body and manifests in that physical way. So you really can know whether, you know, you need to change something about your life. Mm -hmm. And I remember like it was around like, a little bit before Christmas, I was talking to my boyfriend about he actually told me about these um, out-of-the-body experiences and we're mm -hmm. having a discussion on like whether it's you know real or not how can you see how can you know and it's just so interesting sitting here now I I'm also feeling this like warmth coming across my body but just sitting you here with you now talking about this it feels like perfect timing in the sense that our podcast interview was meant to be delayed a little bit so I can um, like resonate with you more on this deeper topic yeah on the on the deeper kind of whatever that the spiritual level is which i'm so glad that you mentioned that too is it's there's just there's so much that we don't know and i i have also listened to other podcasts and uh with people who've had near-death experiences and some people have talked about that knowing that a deep knowing that 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 we will be taken care of like there's just a there is a the soul version of us that moves on once we are no longer in the physical body and I know that, again, depending upon kind of where you are, where you stand spiritually or religiously, that can vary on opinion. But I can only speak from my experience, which is a sort of profound knowing mm -hmm. that that we are here having a human experience in our physical bodies. But there we have a soul mm -hmm. that is the higher self, the deeper part of who we really are yeah. and who also gives us guidance if we're willing and open to listen. Mm -hmm. Oh, so good. 
And that is the hard part, especially in our culture where we're, we live in the thinking mind. You're always living in the, you know, task-oriented, education-oriented, what needs to be done, how am I going to make money? But to really stop and go, wait, there's something telling me something's not right here, or maybe there's, there's something that's not right with the person that you meet, or a job offer feels off to you, but you're not quite sure why. And there's just a lot of things when you stop and kind of really pay attention to things that tell you not to go down, drive down that street this day, or um, I actually had an experience a couple months ago. I was driving in Pasadena, gonna go get my, my hair done. And um, <laughs> I was in my car and the light was green. And I got this message that said to stop. Mm. And, and I, it was a weird experience. I, I was holding on the, to the steering wheel and I just, for, I put on the brakes and sure enough, a Range Rover blew through a red, oh a, a total red. It wasn't even, it, it hadn't even just turned. And I had that moment like, oh, yeah. God just totally saved me. So what is that? That is, I believe that is your higher self or, or coming in to give you that me like message, that intuition, that peace, that the heart piece, that, that the place that where we really know who we are and who we want to become, but we're afraid to mm. because of how we've been taught or um, how we're conditioned to move about daily life. Yeah, that's really powerful. And I think we often ignore that intuition, right? Like, I think deep down, like you said, we have these, have this kind of um, inner well-being and this guidance, this wisdom. And when things that seem miraculous happen, um, I know before for me, I don't even remember what mm -hmm. miraculous thing happened because I think I would just like brush it off and be like, oh, that was just a coincidence. Like all of these things are coincidences. And then it's like, you can really choose. You can choose to see it as, you know, a coincidence or you can see it as something that's higher than you, that's taking care of you. And for me, I've been leaning more towards the part of, of where, like, I like the feeling of that the universe has my back. Yeah. And that I can place trust in it and that I'm the soul that lives on forever. And I'm currently in this physical body right now. Like I love thinking that way. I love believing that because it feels healthy and helpful to me. And so I choose to believe that. Yeah. And I, it's so funny that you mentioned that too, because I'll show you, I have it right on my bed right now. Gabby uh -huh. Bernstein's The Universe Has Your Back. Oh I kid God. you not. I kid you not. Um, yeah. And this talked about again, that yeah, she's showing it to me right now. Like that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's transforming fear to faith. Mm. And so that is so funny. You mentioned that because that's also a book that's been really instrumental in dealing with a lot of feelings and being fearful and scared and judgment and all those tough things that we're navigating uh, when we go about our life. Mm. Yeah. So how has following your heart look like? Do you have examples or stories of maybe something you in the past you would have, you know, used your thinking mind and now you're using your heart and how does that look like now? Oh, wow. Um, that I will have to say, I'm a very heart centered person, but sometimes I don't always follow it. And that's what I'm learning to do, because what I've realized is that when I don't follow my heart, uh, meaning I do something either I think is the right thing to do based upon what somebody else told me to do, or if it doesn't feel right, I always end up going, why did I choose that? I should have followed my heart. Mm. Um, and I honestly say that I've had a lot of beautiful heartfelt moments. I think one of the things that an experience I had many years ago as an undergrad 
where I met my now best friend, sister, and soul friend who actually, her and her family were the ones that took care of me when I was sick. And um, there's something happens when you meet somebody and you just have a profound knowing where it feels so heartfelt that you are meant to be their friend and they are meant to be in your life. Yeah. It's so strong and palpable. There's no doubt about it. Is this the friend whose mom told a doctor that you actually had the syndrome? Could you yes. share a little bit of that with the audience? Yes. So when I moved to LA, I moved in with my best friend and her family and her mom uh, lived with, with them as well. And um, this is another strange, like I said, I don't think it's a coincidence, but her dad had Guillain-Barre syndrome. So when I started presenting all of these mysterious symptoms, her mom and her were having this conversation back and forth. And her mom said to her, you know, I think this is what this is. I think it's Guillain-Barre. And she was like, I don't know. Do you think that's what it is? So her mom was the one that took me to the ER and pushed the ER doctor because the ER doctors thought, well, she's just having a panic attack. And because um, a lot of times, like with a lot of different things, can present as anxiety. And so he thought, I'm having an anxiety attack. And she said, well, give her an Ativan to calm her down and come back in an hour and see if she's still presenting the same symptoms. So he did. And he came back and he said, you know, I think you may be right. And then called the neurologist. So that quick thinking on her part really changed the course of the illness in terms of getting me treatment right away. Yeah. Um, and with Guillain-Barre, it's very important that you get the treatment as soon as you know to stop your body from make, making further damage on the nerves. So with that, so if I didn't have her to advocate for me, I mean, who knows how long it would have taken or if I, they wouldn't, if they would have sent me home. I mean, you just never know. Yeah. So another example of the people, that was a divine moment when we ran into each other on a college campus. There was just a knowing we had, we were in an instant connection. And so now here we are 20 years later and her family is my family. My family is her family. We're like sisters, mm -hmm. sisters till the end. And, um, yeah. That was a, a strong, heartfelt moment for me. Mm, that's really amazing. And I know you also mentioned that you used to deal with a lot of anxiety and stress. So how do you go about them now? Because I think for, I used to also have, I used to be really anxious all the time. And from talking with my own coach, I found that it was because I felt like I needed to control everything. There was this need to control, especially the outcome of things. And so I was anxious because, you know, you can't really predict the future, but by thinking or wanting to control, if it just felt like, okay, there was more stability in my life. And now being on the other side where I recognize the things I can control and the things I can't control and the things I can control is really, you know, the way I think, the way I interpret my perceptions of other people and really everything else I can't really control. Also that like bigger trust in the universe, I think has helped a lot with my anxiety. So I'm curious for you after this experience, how do you look at or deal with anxiety now? Sure. And that's a great question. Anxiety is, has always been a challenge for me and, and you hit it right on the head. It's a control issue. It's like, wanting to control every outcome and having plan A, B, and C, and D, and always being prepared. And what if this goes wrong? And, and it's, it's hard because it's for, for many years, I was, I, I was wired to condition myself that way to just freak out or internally kind of like 
you know, get really anxious about everything. And, um, and again, it's still a process. It still works. So what my experience taught me during my illness is that there are strategies that you can use to help with anxiety. And one of the biggest things that I do is meditation meditation. And, and of course it's work. I mean, you have to really, it's like a training in itself to meditate. It's a muscle. It is. It is a muscle. And I, I always say people just starting, just start with, start with five minutes. And if you can't do five minutes, do one mm -hmm. minute, um, because one minute is better than no minute. And so what I found with meditation is that it really allows you to get out of the thinking brain step or step out of it. And, and it's not always the case. Cause you know, a lot of times people are like, well, how can I meditate when I have all these mm -hmm. thoughts going in my head? Well, that's okay. But also you observe, you observe the thoughts, you try and place yourself in the present moment versus worrying about what's going to happen tomorrow or, or stressing about what happened yesterday. And when you practice and you continue to do it for me anyways, it's allowed me to be in this present moment because really the present is the only thing that's promised. So be in the moment right now, take some deep breaths. I've also, I also work with doing the, the deep breaths as, as well, like a full on belly in, breathe it in for five seconds, breathe it out slowly for another five seconds. And also what's happened with me with meditation is that it puts me more in touch with my intuition and my higher self. Because sometimes things come in and I'm like, some, that'll say like, oh, you know what? You should contact like Darian, for example, which I did my last podcast with. I had this kind of download, like yes. something just says, you know, you just contact him and see what happens. And so with that, then I ended up doing my first podcast. So it's, it's, there's something really beautiful about meditation and it really is. There is some hard science around how you rewire your brain. Um, and calm even your vagus nerve. The vagus nerve is so critical with anxiety. It, you know, it's overactive. When you live in a chronic state of stress, you're in a chronic state of fight or flight, uh, which then throws off your hormones and throws off your body rhythms. And so that has changed my life. Meditation has changed my life. Mm. Where is the vagus nerve? The vagus nerve, it runs all the way from your head, all the way down into your gut. And um, forgive me, as I say, I, I'm like, I need my like my map of the body, but it's, it's a very important in, in regulating the body. So if you get a chance to look it up, mm -hmm. look, look up the um, anatomy of the body, you'll see how it, how it makes the connection. It's like the brain to the gut. Mm, that's like everything. <laughs> yeah. It's like everything it's just really interesting. And if you delve into uh, some hard science, there's been some really great, interesting articles about the the power of meditation and the healing that can come from it as well. Yeah. And meditation is really something that I've struggled with for about almost a year now. So I do 30 day projects and one of the projects was meditation. So I was able to use the app Calm and was able to kind of sit with it. And I did that uh, 10 minutes every day for 30 days. And usually that's enough for me to create that habit. But for some reason, meditation was so, so, so hard for me. And right now I, it's still something that I'm working through. And I think meditation also is a really great point to tie back into the, this need to constantly do, right? Because as someone who's like formally like very productivity focused, even though my mentors and coaches were all telling me that meditation is like literally the best thing that they found, I just didn't really take it seriously because I thought 
okay, you're just sitting there for 10 minutes. Like, I don't have time to sit there. I need to do stuff. <laughs> yes, yes. And it's so true. And that's, if you think about it like this, though, it's kind of funny. It's it's like the American way. You know, it's like you always have to be productive. You always have to be doing, you always have to be producing. But it's not really all that healthy when you look at the statistics and with mental illness mm. and the wellness and emotional, physical. I mean, is that really, I mean, it's, and not to say that it's bad. Obviously, I'm wired the same way. Um, so there's, it's, it's kind of nice because I, I look at it as, as it's a challenge. Like it's a challenge to kind of go a, a little bit against what we're, we're it's so ingrained in us. But one of the things I've also noticed too, is it's like sometimes when you get tired or you have so much, so much that's going on, you're going and you take that brief time. It, it's, it really acts as, as relax it's relaxing when you have so much on your mind so it's again a way to be in the present moment to clear out that space of all the things that are happening and and it takes work though it's it's no lie there's some days when i can't get out of out of it and it's all cycling and, and i'm sitting in a meditation and i'm like oh here it is but i'm not I'm not going to judge it I'm not going to be hard on myself i'm just going to sit and observe it and go okay it is what okay it is what it is now i'm going to take i'm going to take five deep breaths and focus on the breath and instead of focusing on the thoughts that are circling around in my head. And it, it was really helpful. You focus on the breath, which then again gets you out of that, the mental trap mm -hmm. of so many things going on. There's so many things to accomplish. Yeah. Um, which is, again, it's good to be productive, but it's also great to take a break and to have a peaceful moment to kind of bring it back down. And, and get centered around what's really important and what you really need to accomplish. Yeah, I definitely find meditation to be incredibly powerful and helpful as well. And to share two points on this is a big barrier for me, um, for me to start meditating was actually, and this is so interesting, right? Going deep into the fears was that I felt like I could not be quote unquote successful at meditation. Like I knew that my thoughts would be circling all the time. And like, I knew that I couldn't clear my thoughts in just 10 minutes. And a conversation with my, so I have like a career business coach. I also have a life coach and a conversation with my life coach. It was really insightful was that he said that when you're meditating and you're like kind of struggling, that is success. That is a successful meditation because you're working that muscle and training that mm -hmm. muscle. And so when I flipped my mindset to, okay, I'm, you know, I'm ready to sit there and have my thoughts circling around and it's okay that they're circling around and I'm going to bring them back. That completely helped me overcome the barrier of starting to meditate. Yeah. And that's a really good point that you bring up. It's, it's, is that meditation isn't about being successful at it. And that's, again, what we're always taught. It's like, how are we right. going to be successful? How do we control our successes? And, and striving for perfection, which is such a myth. Ah, you know, I mean, I still work with that. It's like, it's okay to be flawed. It's okay to make a mistake and regroup and get back at it. It's all of these things, you know, when you're, when you're putting together presentations or doing, you know, I do it to myself too. And I'm like, you know, it just will be what it'll be. You do the best that you can, but again, being taught that, you know, there's a certain way that you write, there's a certain way that you, you know, present yourself, there's a certain things that you say and do, that is what, what makes you successful. But it's like, but does it really make you successful in your, in who you are? Because life is messy. It's really messy. It's not perfect. We, we're really our own worst critics when it comes to judgment 
especially judging our own successes. Mm, and it's so interesting how that in that belief of success, right? Needing to be successful is so ingrained that it like stopped me from taking on this meditation habit and can only imagine if it's stopping me from creating this habit, like how else it's running in my life or how else it was running in my life and all the different things I said no to or didn't start because of that fear of failure and not being successful at it. Right. It's tough. It's, it's tough to maneuver and to manage. And um, again, when you're when you move through life and you've had a lot of hardcore serious things happen, you you start at least for me, I was kind of, you know, reevaluating success and what what that what does that look like for me? I'm still in that process of you know, what is how how can I move forward with this life in a in in a way that's successful and heartfelt and on the terms of of being happy and healthy and creating a, a work-life balance that's meaningful as well. Yeah, I love that you brought up at this point of thinking about success now. So one of the questions that I always ask my guests is how was success for you before and how do you define it now? Ooh, that's a really good question. I think that success, it has always, where it had been in the past, it's this make good money, follow a linear path, you know, go to school, get your master's degree, get your PhD, teach, write, research, whatever it looks like, you know, and, and uh, try to make a good living. And, and also um, one of the things I've known about myself too is I was always like a people pleaser, trying to please my, my parents, my partner, and to, to the detriment of my own needs. And what I realized is it's like, you have to take care of yourself so that you can be, take care of other people. You need to get right with yourself. Um, and that is this process of healing is getting right with me and developing strat strategies to um, move through stress and challenging obstacles. And, you know, what brings me joy and what, what does work-life balance look like for me now and getting plenty of sleep for crying out loud. It's like, sleep is we need sleep i don't know where this started of well you know you hear it i, I hear it all the time at work like i don't know how so and so does it that's amazing they only get four hours of sleep at night and look how productive they are that's so unhealthy i don't care who you are getting plenty of sleep is a success for me now i never i yes i knew i did never really functioned that well without it but i didn't really realize how critical that is to a functioning mind and a functioning body that's successful. Being successful to me is um, having a great time with my friends and family and, and being supported and, and also being genuinely who I am instead of trying to take care of other people's needs or, well, I'm going to do that. No, I can't do that because that's going to make somebody mad or I can't do that. It's like, well, you know what? People get mad and you need to do what's right for you. And, and again, like I said, getting right with myself, spiritually, emotionally, physically, mentally, so that I can figure out where, where I can best be of service and help other people and move through this life with grace and balance instead of being so off balance. And, um, and that, a lot of it too was my fault because I, I didn't want to uh, be upfront about it because I was afraid I was going to hurt somebody else. Mm -hmm. or, um, but that's just not, it's not okay. I'm really a firm believer and you have to 
to take care of yourself before you can take care of others. Put on your, your mask before you put on your other's mask. You hear that on the plane? Put your mask on first. Definitely. And that example of not wanting to hurt others' feelings also really resonated with me. And that's also kind of where the people pleasing comes in and the wanting to control the outcome, right? Like kind of taking responsibility for other people's emotions when they're merely reacting to your own self. I love to talk a little bit more about the physical healing as well as the emotional healing, because I think oftentimes like physical healing, we can see really clearly, right? Like if you have a broken leg, like you heal it and now it's walking again. And this reminds me of a TED talk that I just watched last week, last weekend, it was on emotional hygiene and the guy was a psychologist and he was talking about how, you know, if you get hurt physically, you'll have like a bandaid and you like put it on. Even little kids know how to do that. But when we are hurt like emotionally or mentally, we don't really take care of it. So I'm curious for you, what were some of the things that were helpful for you in your emotionally healing journey? I think um, taking time also to uh, go within, be with myself instead of relying upon others to fix me. We, me, um, grew up on the premise that we rely on our others to make us happy or others to fix things that we can really, we're, we're really the champions of ourselves. Mm. So just even being alone and, and feeling, feeling the hard, the hardcore feelings, moving through the process without judging them. That's the other part of it. Like, why do I feel sad today? I'm so sad again. I can't stand it. Well, it's like, no, it's part of grief. It's okay to be sad. Mm. Spending that time to really rest and reflect is kind of, I think, where I was going with that. And I also can do some recordings, some journaling as well. And then meditation, of course. Uh, and then, and then of course, there are times where I do need to talk with other people about what's going on. If it's something that I really can't shake, whether it's a friend or a professional um, that can help me get through uh, that emotional piece. You know, it's, 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 a, um, it's multifaceted, I think. I think, obviously, if you need to get help and seek, you know, for, for emotional counseling, I'm a firm believer in that. I've had therapy. I've had counseling. Um, I love it, but I also think that, you know, you're also just as responsible for taking the tools and managing yourself with the tools that you've been given by these professionals as well. So reading too, I'm a big advocate of reading certain spirituality books. I also, another great one to pick up if you're, if you're curious to know more about meditation, which has been the hot topic that we've been talking about is it's called a full catastrophe or full catastrophe living by John Kabat-Zinn. And um, he talks about, it's called mindfulness-based stress reduction, MBSR. Um, and it's used in, you know, medical centers worldwide and educational settings. And it's using the wisdom of your body and mind to face stress, pain, and illness. Um, this is a great, great read if you're looking at delving into how med meditation is beneficial. Um, also talks about complex emotions in here and how to, how to move with them. Because it's like, it's like, yeah a lot of times we don't want to face the the fear or the anger or whatever but but it's if you don't if you don't find a way to manage them i i'm i think they come out somewhere at some time having that self-awareness taking that time out to 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 really be self-aware of what are your triggers um emotionally you know what can i learn from what happened how can i move forward in a way that's healthy and productive that can help others while maintaining balance and being happy while with the time that i've been given yeah. And on the topic of 
presence. I'm curious for you, what advice do you have for those who are kind of struggling with that, right? Like staying present. And it's something that I've struggled with for so long too, that I'm just recently became with peace with is that how, how do you avoid not being so forward thinking into the future in terms of, you know, if I change into this new creative career or if I'm starting my own business, how do I make it sustainable? How do I get financial stability? So these are all very like forward thinking, right? And it kind of takes you away from the present. So what advice would you give for people who are kind of in that boat that they're trying to stay present, but it's hard to not go look into the future? The, the toughest question of the day. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a process. Again, I, I look at uh, talking with professionals who are skilled with meditation and um, dealing with trauma or uh, stress management. There's always like, I'm, of course, we need to be forward thinking and that we need to make plans for things and plan for work days and, and all of that. Um, but there's a fine line between planning for goals and worrying about these goals. And I think that that is where being in the present moment can really help get, get out of the worry mm, space. Yeah. Boring. Because it's life is overwhelming and it's easy to move from task to overwhelm and worry. So then how do we bring it back to center? Gratitude, being in the present moment, seeking out professionals who are skilled with meditation and MBSR, and that can really help you dive down into personal or the emotional things that you may be struggling with to help keep you in the present moment um, and out of the space, the space of worrying all the time about the future or being stuck in the past. Like this happened to me and how do I, I can't get over it. You know, I mean, that's, it's, does it's hard. Uh, different personalities cope with different things in a different ways. And, it, and it's a process to, to move through all of this, the complexity of it. Yeah. And I'll share a personal example of how I was able to, like you mentioned, kind of worry less or like stop worrying was that, so the number one thing that you, used to come out of my mouth is, you know, how am I going to make my business sustainable? Like what am I going to do about the finances? And it was really interesting to note two things. One was that I was basically repeating what my parents were saying. Literally their beliefs were like imprinted on me. And I know you mentioned that your mom is from the Philippines. So maybe you've had that experience too. So it wasn't even me talking. It was literally them talking through me. Yes. Yes. I, I still, yes, I know what you mean. I hear the voices that my parents' voices mm -hmm. during certain things. And I'm like, I literally thought stopping is also really helpful when you realize you're going down that spiral. And um, I was actually taught this and I can't remember if it was a therapy session where, where if you wear like something on your wrist and the thought stop, you snap it every time you start getting the thought to come in and it kind of snaps you out of that place of, wait a minute, okay, get out of that place. Get out of the place of, of, of the parental voices that you hear in your head. Mm -hmm. um, and I, and it's, it's interesting too, I now realize it's, there's the generational differences between my generation and my parents and how different the mindset is and, you know, consciousness, spirituality, they're like, what is that? There's just religion and doing religion and doing yeah. and, and succeeding and following a leader path. And, you know, you, all these things that, that clearly I haven't followed. I mean, and my parents were, they were great. Don't get me wrong, but, uh, but there's still the really strong messages that you, it's like, I don't even think they were even aware of it. And they instill upon you because 
passed down because that's just how it's done without questioning it. That's just how it's done. Yeah. And the second part of that too was, it was like self-doubt. Like I have self-doubt because I think I sought validation from so many people outside of me, like society and parents. And I wasn't sure if I was going to be be able to make it. But now when I look back and I encourage the listeners to kind of look into your own life too. Like if you're listening to this, you're most likely traditionally successful in the sense that you went to a pretty good, you know, college, like graduated top of your class, working in corporate, like those are all things that you had to use skills and talents in, like in terms of raw material, I think, you know, we were born enough. Like, we're very, very capable, but I think over time, because we always look outward and we're constantly comparing ourselves to other people, we kind of lose the self-trust in ourselves as well as when we pursue a path that's not really aligned with who we really are. We also, that does a lot with self-trust, right? And so I think as you start aligning yourself with your interests and what you feel called toward doing over time that really builds up that trust and that confidence. And that's another great way to stop worrying because you're like, okay, whatever it is, it's just problem solving. And I've done different problem solvings before and I've got this. Yeah. And that's a really, really valid point that you bring up too, is that that self doubt. I mean, we all have it to some extent in some aspect of our lives and, and to, to move through it or overcome it. It's, it's challenging. It's always work to, you know, after, after my illness, that's one of the things I've learned too, is, um, I used to sit in it a lot longer, if that makes sense. And now I'm able to, yes, the feelings still come up, but I don't sit in it as long as, as long as I, you know, as I had in the past. And then I, I regroup and go, okay, so it's not this direction. Let's regroup and try something else instead of, you know, and that's, I think like I had the habit of sitting in stress for so long another part of the wake-up call through the illness i mean it's it's no i don't think it's really a coincidence that that happened at that time i i had just compartmentalized so many stressful things in my life and if if the, the one of the huge takeaways i can instill in the listeners is develop some stress management skills that work for yourself and that are not drinking or smoking or, um, you know, and even, you know, with, with drinking, it's so easy. You know, we, we drink to celebrate, we drink when we're not, you know, happy. And it's, it's, I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of people about the idea of cutting back on alcohol to not use it as a vice instead, you know, go on a walk, take some deep breaths, meditation, have a, watch a funny movie, talk with your friends. Yeah. And I think also those are the things that we would miss the most too. Like when we're, you know, on a deathbed or something, like, we're not going to be, oh, I really miss drinking. It's more of like, oh, I miss walking or talking with my friends. So even if you're not doing it for stress, you can still do it just to enjoy life and enjoy the moment. Right, right. And they're not, I'm not anti-drinking by any means. I'm just saying that it's just easy to go down that spiral when stressful times happen or you're out with your friends where it just can get out of hand. And then before you know it, it's just in excess. And, Mm -hmm. um, and there's just, there's just other ways to manage your stress. And that's all part of also being more in tune with your heart. And, you know, if, if you're living in a constant state of stress and really waking up miserable, there's something going on. And instead of pushing it away, really dive into what that is. What is that? Because there's always a reason for it. Sometimes we don't want to admit it to ourselves, whether it's we're in a career we don't enjoy, whether it's 
we are, you know, we're really still upset over a breakup or there's always something to that being stressed or we need to go outside and actually get professional help to have, have us manage it and help us learn ourselves better instead of ignoring and just pushing and moving forward through life without really stopping and checking with yourselves because it will catch up with you. It always does. It'll in some way, shape or form, it'll get you. Mm, yeah. And I also read that stress is basically like your body becomes addicted to the feelings of stress because you're in the fight mode, right? So there's a lot of adrenaline and it's like your body actually starts craving that. And then you start creating situations and put yourself in situations where it's stressful. So you can still live that quote unquote high. Yes. It's the high. It's an addiction. Yeah. And it's, it's like we do. It's, a lot of the habits and things that we've established throughout our life were created when we were kids. Mm -hmm. So at least, you know, it's just like, like something that's traumatic that happened when I was five will still come like and haunt you if you're not kind of dealing with the issue. So once you start um, identifying with stress and it becomes a pattern for several years, and, and that you, you do, you create that, the same sort of feeling. And, um, and that has also been, that's something I continually work on instead of living in that space constantly is being aware of it and trying to change that. And again, that's, it's tough though, because it's, it is like an addiction. And especially if you've been, con you've conditioned yourself that way for X amount of years to, you know, it's just with anything you're addicted to, it's a process. It takes a while to kind of get out of that mindset, get out of the, the fight or flight. And once you realize you're like, here I go again, again, being self-aware, being mindful of it. What am I going to do to thought stop and stop the train from going off the tracks? Like it has done for the, the past several years. <laughs> yeah. And it's definitely a process. Like you mentioned, like how a lot of people have dealt with stress in their, their careers. For me, the big thing was feelings of not enough. And it's something that resonates a lot with my clients as well that I coach them through. And yeah, it's taken, I'm finding out a place where I, in this moment, I feel enough and I'm learning to feel more mm. abundant. And it's taken me seven months of working really hard through problems, obstacles, like having two, three coaches to coach me through it. So it's, it's definitely, it takes time. Yeah. Well, and I love the fact that you have the, your coaches. Oh, they're so amazing. And I love that you're shedding light on that because I feel like we all need them. Mm. We all need coaches or pe mentors, people to kind of, that we can turn to. I have a group of ladies too. And it's, it's like that type of community where it's like, okay, this happened this week. Now what do we do? Or um, how, how can we strategize to move through it? Cause, because it's so, it's tricky. And it's like, I even coaches need coaches and they're, they, and they, a lot of the great coaches talk about the coaches that help them. And yeah. um, I think that we all should have that support in our lives a coach or a mentor, somebody that we can go to. Yeah, definitely. And it's really important to have, I think, to have a mindset that you are worth it. Like you're deserving of a coach. Like a coach is not just for top leaders or successful people. You are worthy of a coach. That's also one of the things that kept me from getting a coach for so long is that I don't know if I was ready to invest in myself or if I was willing to go all in. I don't really have problems spending money on my friends, but when it comes to myself before I, I used to be like really stingy, you know? And so this was just another really great way of self-care for myself. Yeah. Oh yeah. I think it's great of finding somebody that really resonates with you that can help you navigate the human experience. Yes. It's, it's not <laughs> easy. And I think 
when we when we kind of recognize too that the human experience is messy and it's yucky and it comes with just these glorious moments and these really awful moments as well you can kind of approach mm. things with a little bit of a different mindset around that you know things things will go wrong at some point because that's life and things will go great because that's life so how do you kind of move through it all in a way that puts it all in the perspective yeah and now bringing everything through the human experience to now you mentioned a lot about like having work-life balance so i'm curious what inspired you to start you know freelancing and being in this field i think that freelancing is kind of like a stepping stone for me it it was a place it's it's been a great place to create my own work schedule in that i can choose to you know work when i want to i like the flexibility of I actually enjoy change in a work schedule and I also like to travel. So that's a nice mix. Yeah. Lifestyle design is really great. And I'm constantly thinking about reinventing my career as well. Like I want to pick up painting more in the next couple of years as well as traveling and speaking. So it's really cool to have these different, it's called like a portfolio career where you have like different things going on at the same time. And I know for the listeners, oftentimes one of the top options they want they're considering for themselves is freelancing so i'm curious how did you get your first client so that they might can get inspiration from that as well well you know i work primarily i say primarily with a company who kind of outsources to me so um i'm connected with a company and then they work with other corporations and they'll reach out to me doing different kinds of work and so that's and then it's just kind of word of mouth and talking to people that you know and then they reach out to you and it it really is about you know networking getting to know people and then developing trust that's also a big one that you're reliable that you're customer service centered that you're generally there to help people make a successful event and it does it you know it takes a certain personality and um, events can be really stressful or they can be really chill and laid back it just depends on what the event is so you you have to also with freelancing be able to kind of roll with it when things come up whether it's a computer issue or the client isn't happy about the situation or whatever it is mm -hmm, definitely so for the your the first company that you worked with was it something that you applied to or was it introduced to you by someone else it, it was just introduced yeah so you like i said i've got like one company that feeds me like a, a lot of opportunities that come through and then um and it just so happens that i mean i've worked with everything from boy, pharmaceutical to Google to doing um, fancier evening events to trade shows to conferences, you name it. It just it's just a matter of and then and then through that, what happens is is that the the client will if they like you will request you back. Yeah, definitely. My first client that I ever had was yeah, like a super close friend for coaching. And then I also used to freelance, right? And the first client that I had was introduced by a friend. Like I was just talking about it at dinner and he was like, Hey, there's this company in the incubator that I'm working in. Let me introduce you guys. And so you're, com you're completely right in that it really comes from building relationships and also being okay with telling others what you're doing and like you spreading the word. Yeah, well, for sure. And, you know, I, we talk about events and one of the things I was going to mention earlier, it's just interesting is you know, I've got like a love for higher education, a love for health and wellness. And I do, you know, I've kind of rolled it all into doing these corporate events as well in different spaces. But one of the, one of the things I think, you know, we had talked about following a linear path and how I was kind of taught that you just, you follow something and then that's it. I mean, that's, you can't change your, I mean, that's just what you stick with. Right. 
And I, I read a book uh, by a dear friend of mine. Her name is Jen Welter. She is was the is the first mm. women's professional football coach in the NFL. And she wrote a book. It's called Play Big. And it's it's very sports centered. But one of her phrases in her book that really stood out to me was be an and not an or. So being being like, you know what, for example, I write books and I do corporate events and I, instead of being so trapped into, well, it has to be this and I have to stick to this one path, but what, what's wrong with doing different things that bring you joy that can also bring you income? It doesn't necessarily have to be one thing if you have different interests and different strengths that you can bring to the table. I love that. I love the mix and match and all the possibilities that come with it. And really when you do multiple things, it sets you apart from others that becomes your unique differentiator. And lastly, what parting advice do you have for others who are in a traditional career right now and they're contemplating whether they should go for a less traditional one, a more unconventional, non-linear one? I would say Definitely start talking with people, networking with people in the career path that you're considering. Do a lot of research on the pros and cons of, you know, leaving versus staying and really asking your, your heart, your gut as to what you feel you're called to do. I know it's really, really tricky when you're leaving a traditional role and, and branching out. There's a lot of things involved. And so again, do the research, figure out kind of the pros and cons, talk to a lot of people about making that leap and what you're looking at. You can develop a plan as to how that might look, or you may start on the side and see kind of if you can make the jump. But sometimes, you know what, you just got to do it. You just got to just go for it and take the leap. There's nothing wrong with that. It's scary, but hey, you know, it's good to challenge yourself. And with the unknown and kind of there's, there's as scary it is as it is, there is also it's quite liberating to move towards a career that's more in line with who you are. That's really powerful. And there's excitement in the unknown too. I remember I used to complain to my coach about, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. Like this is a totally new space that I'm in. And it was really great to be reminded that I wanted my life to be fulfilling and exciting and to follow my heart. And part of the excitement is that, you know, you don't have a stagnating job where you, you're doing the same tasks over and over again, which is can be found, you know, in more traditional jobs. Right, right. And, and it's, it's great. It's, you know, for the folks that love that path, but if, if there's something calling you, I'd say, you know, definitely start to learn more about it. And I think you'll always know when it's time, when it's time to make the leap or there's, there's a time, you know, people are always like, I don't know, should I? It's like, well, it may not be time yet, but you'll know the time. I think you always know intuitively, like, when that time is to be like, it's now, or, you know, I'm going to wait a little bit. Yeah. I love that. And you've had such an incredible and unique journey. Um, is there anything that you would love to share with the audience before we wrap up? I would say really be true to who you are. Find out who that person is in a world where with a lot of chaos and a lot of people telling us what they think we should be doing or, or not approving of what our decisions are. It can be challenging, but take the path that's right for you. And really, um, if, if, if you're feeling called to make some changes, don't ignore the voice. And cause I have, don't, don't end up like me in the hospital. Um, no, but, um, but it's, it's really important. I think that there's, there's really some beauty in being authentically you and really owning who you are 
and people, the right people show up when you are true to who you are. And um, that's another thing I've, I've learned as well is when you make these, these journeys and these transitions, the right people always show up when they need to, to help you. Mm, love that. And where can we find you for advice or tips or, you know, to reach out? Oh, sure. Um, I would say the best way is probably through LinkedIn. Um, I do have an instant of Facebook too, but I'm, I'm more active lately on LinkedIn. I'll answer any questions that are, you know, presented to me. I, I like connecting with people and, um, it's, it's always a good thing. Awesome. I know we were connected through LinkedIn as well, so I'll include it in the show notes below. And again, Carolyn, thank you so much for coming on today. Really enjoyed chatting with you about your journey, spirituality, and becoming more of who we are. Thank you so much for having me, MC. I really appreciate your time. If you can think of one person in particular who would find today's message really helpful on their career change journey, please, please share this episode with them. It can make a huge difference. And as a big thank you for being here, one of the most common questions that I get is, how do I get unstuck? And so I put together a free guide that you can use to help you break out of the rut and start taking steps towards a career you love through a Get Unstuck side project. You can get that guide for free over at onemonthprojects.com slash get unstuck. Enjoy and see you next week.